Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Folks, before we get into the show, wanted to tell you that you can save 15% at SodaStick.com by using the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at checkout. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com for your Minnesota sports-inspired hats, hoodies, shirts, Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at SodaStick.com. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here. And for Tuesday morning left guard on, let's see, Wednesday afternoon, Jeremiah Searles. Uh, Jeremiah, you have to start out now yesterday on the show, I opened the show with a statement about my hairline because Mm -hmm. it had been insulted on the internet and you and I are looking at each other. There's, there's some space there, but I'm not going to get into it again. It's not that bad. Okay. That's the whole thing. But you also have a retraction slash apology to begin the show with. So I guess we're, we're really, um, we're really owning up. You know what? Accountability is big. Yeah, And that's what we're doing here. So please go ahead to start the show. Yeah, So I, I have to sincerely apologize to all our loyal listeners out there on Tuesday morning, whatever day, left guard at Purple Insider of my excitement for Jim Harbaugh. I think that I put the cart before the horse. I think I drank the Kool-Aid a little bit too much of the Harbaugh train. And it all collapsed into a million pieces. And we went with white bread Kevin O'Connell, which I'm totally fine with. But I still, as a content creator, would have loved the Jim Harbaugh angle. But as a football guy, O'Connell was probably the right choice. So I apologize for my mock press conference and don't cancel me. (laughs) So last week, right before Kevin O'Connell was named the coach and it was uh, reported that Jim Harbaugh wasn't getting it. I mean, just several hours before we did the entire show on what it's going to be like when Jim Harbaugh coaches the Vikings, including, as you mentioned, a mock press conference, which you nailed. I mean, you did a tremendous job. And yet, like four hours later, it was all blown to smithereens and meant nothing. Which is so, so par for the course for us. I mean, it, I, that couldn't be more par for the course for the way that we do podcasts. We'll do a podcast on about what the offensive line looks like. And then they'll like trade for one to like literally minutes after it's posted. So, you know what? We do the people's work of trying to get decisions made quickly. So we just throw pods out there. So this is what happens though. When you talk about football all the time is sometimes you just get it hilariously wrong. I mean, for example, when you announced that the Vikings had a good offensive line (laughs) in week two, Good to average, I believe, is how I described that. We can go back and check the tape, but I think I said good to average. We put out a clip of it. I (laughs) I put out a video. I was like, Jeremiah announces that he thinks the Vikings have a good offensive line. Might have been like week four. It was. Uh, They were playing okay to start. Yeah, it got worse. Uh, Well, I mean, for me, the Rams are in the Super Bowl, and I never thought it would work. So, you know, that, that happens all the time. And there's lots of other wrong things. Like, here, here's another thing that I've just been 
driving everyone crazy with on the internet is when people and our friend Brad Spielberger did this. He comes on the show. Brad is incredibly smart and he's the best, but he tweeted out, oh, this year's quarterback draft. It's going to be just like 2013. And, I, and and here comes me flying out of nowhere. No, <laughs> do not. You say that. That is not allowed. That is not allowed. And here's and here's what I said. The league thought that Blake Bortles was a better quarterback prospect than Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Not by a little, but by a mile. No one has any idea what they're doing. It's always kind of a fun thing to track like what's happening and what's going to, you know, what's going to happen next. So what were we supposed to do? It looked like Jim Harbaugh was coming here. John Bacon said that he was old cousin of old Kevin Bacon. there, just dancing his way to Jim Harbaugh. So yes, (laughs) we were wrong, but I, I have to agree with our guy. I don't, I don't love the quarterbacks in this draft. I watched a lot of them being at the senior bowls that I went to. I was at the PA game. I was at the shrine bowl. I watched all the senior bowl practices. Like, Malik Willis probably, in my opinion, is the most starter ready. I think with what I saw at the Senior Bowl, like he proved it. But you know, Kenny Pickett, baby hand, Kevy, Kenny Pickett apparently <laughs> because that's a huge deal. It's so dumb. But I mean, he's probably number two. But I think that after you get on, like from those two guys, I don't, I don't really know how much trust I have in this class. I think that there's both truth in that none of these prospects make you feel super secure about it. Right. Um, none of them have historic statistics in college or are like Trevor Lawrence level or Andrew Luck level where you feel like, gosh, the guy checks every single box. But then I think about all the prospects who have been drafted that didn't check every single box that may have been on similar levels. Like how is Malik Willis much different than Trey Lance, for example? And I don't mm-hmm. know if Trey Lance is going to be good, but would you take Trey Lance right now if you're the Vikings? Yeah, because he's <laughs> super fast and throws it super hard. And I don't know. Like, I I had a, a former uh, director of player personnel on the show, and he was talking about how he scouted quarterbacks. He was like, well, I look if they throw it real hard and if they're fast and uh, if they're pretty smart. And like, that's kind of all you can really do, right? I mean, there's there's not there's no secret to figuring out which one of these guys is going to work, but if we're looking at these prospects in comparison to other shortcomings, Carson Wentz had shortcomings. His, he was in the MVP race one time. Like there's nobody that you're going to analyze in this draft where you're like, Oh, they're perfect. So it's a guarantee. But even guys who have been guarantees in the past have not turned out to be what people thought they were going to be. I mean, Jamarcus Russell, right? I mean, the guy we, we all, we all anointed him the next Dante Culpepper before he even stepped foot on in the NFL, sitting on a knee, launching at 55 yards through the uprights. Right. I mean, you're right. There, there is no exact science to the draft, which is what makes good GMs and good owners and good head coaches elite when they draft well. Um, but I think that if you're a first time GM or a first time head coach and you basically are intertwining your fate with a first round quarterback which i know you've said do it because if it doesn't work i just do it again but there is a little bit where you you kind of twist your fate with them and you kind of go into this thing together that's where i look at this and go man is there someone that you're willing to give the keys to the car to as a 22 23 year old kid of the franchise and man that's gonna be a tough that's gonna be a tough sell for anyone where i think that what we laid out even last week where it was like hey maybe don't draft a guy super high, but kind of get the Garter Minshew plug in and then maybe double down again for next year is an option. I just think that when you draft a quarterback in the first round, 
like you just kind of that's your identity of who you are as a decision maker kind of for the rest of your time in the NFL. No, that's true. Yeah, right. And especially if the guy that you didn't pick turns out to be great. Right. A la Mitch Trubisky and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Like if you make that mistake, that carries with you, even though I, I would defend it anyway. 100%. Because who was who knew? Like there were reasons to think that Watson and Mahomes would not be great. They turned out to be great. But I would defend any core, uh, any GM and coach who said we're going to draft a guy high and, and see what we've got here. And and Chicago might end up being a good example. Is uh, they draft Trubisky? It's a total bus fire. It basically rips the franchise down and gets everyone fired. Well, that's not great. But they drafted another guy, and if he turns out to be good, you'll never remember or care that it happened. And there's a thing for me that's about perceived risk versus real risk. Like your perceived risk is, oh, if we draft Malik Willis and he stinks, then like we waste a couple of years of our franchise. But is it less risky than to to put all of your money into a quarterback who's proven over a long period of time that with his contract and his skills, he can't get you like, which one is more risky, right? Like both of them are risky. Both of them could get you fired. One guy just got a, Two people fired. Like they're the only no, no risk type of thing is if you are the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. Like if you already have the guy and he's your elite starting quarterback for the next decade, then you have no risk at that position. There are 25 teams plus at any given time who are all risking their futures on a quarterback. Um, and if you get stuck in the middle, you get fired. Or if you draft the wrong guy and are bad, you get fired. Either way, fired. Yeah, I think, I mean, shoot, half of that 25 groups that you said are probably have no choice but to just ride it out with the guy that they have because of the cap hit, right? And you've seen it over and over again. Everyone's trying to copy the formula. I think I saw you tweet about today, like rookies on rookie contracts is how you win Super Bowls because you build other superstars around them. So everyone's trying to get to that point and get to that formula. But I feel like it kind of goes in waves of years of how good and talented the draft class of how much guys are willing to offload to then go and draft that first rounder. I mean, you talk about the Vikings. I don't know if they're in that position. I mean, a lot will depend on obviously the Kirk Cousins situation of what position are we actually in to draft? Are we going first round quarterback or are we trying to build around Cousins? Like that's going to be the question between now and the last weekend in April up there in Vikingville. Right. So uh, I was making the point about Derek Carr where someone mm. was saying like, oh, if you draft Derek Carr, if you're the team that drafted a, a prospect who turns out to be Derek Carr, then you failed because he's only the 12th best quarterback in the league. Well, that, I mean, that's not true at all. Like Derek no. Carr's team won 12 games. And if he doesn't get hurt, they might go to the Super Bowl that year. No, he has not turned out to be one of the truly best quarterbacks in the league, in part because they signed him to a contract extension and were run by manatees. I mean, just like completely <laughs> clueless people doing insane things. That's a South Park joke. But uh, yeah, but uh, like it. And, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at Derek Carr's uh, draft profile. He's like a second round draft pick type of prospect. There's all sorts of criticism. He, look at this. First thing, lacks ideal height and has, guess what? <laughs> baby Small hands. Small hands. Baby <laughs> hands. That's the first criticism. His, his, uh, uh, could stand to improve as a deep passer, tries to do too much and forces throws. This is from NFL.com. Occasionally throws off balance unnecessary and sails some throws. There's all sorts of criticism for quarterbacks who have turned out to be good enough 
that on a rookie contract could take you to the Super Bowl. So I don't want to say this every day over and over again until I fall down and die. <laughs> but like I will go through every one of these. NFL.com ranked Billy Price higher, mm. higher as a prospect, the bust center draft pick than Josh Allen. I rest my case. Nobody has any idea what they're talking about. That's it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Just like the, the combine list came out today, right? And and you look on it and you're like, hmm, that guy? Hmm, that guy didn't get an invite. But it's like, you know, it, it's just, it's such a, the, I think the NFL does it strictly, strictly for the reason, the, like, they're involved the fans, right? Like, I literally think that these profiles get written up by these big galaxy brain draft analytic guys, but Nobody knows what conversations are had in those war rooms. Nobody, which is why that like Todd McShay and those guys are 90% wrong. And then they hit like two or three at the right. And they're like, I told you, I knew it. But it's like, no, you didn't. Because every team is looking completely different than what you think they're looking for. Like his, his needs list on the draft thing. Like this team needs this. It's like, well, they don't, maybe they don't need that. You don't know. So you're exactly right. There is no exact science to the draft. And I think that because the NFL has involved the fans so much in the draft that the fans almost kind of put pressure on the organizations a lot more than they should. I mean, not that the GMs, but like owners probably feel that pressure a little bit more from the fans than they have in the past because how involved they all are throughout the entire process. And uh, I think that the thirst for draft information, which is different than than the other thing. I think that there are some tremendous draft analysts and reporters who provide a lot of information and it's super interesting to study and talk about and debate. That's different from if you're a team making a decision, thinking that you can predict which quarterback is going to be good and which isn't. This was the Mac Jones point last year. It was a lot of people after I said, maybe the Vikings should have just taken Mac Jones said, no, 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 I don't want him. He's not the right kind of quarterback that I want. And they're like, well, we don't really know though. So if he's drafted in the first round, he could be good. And then he was immediately good. And then other guys weren't, I'm looking at this. I, I could just do this for days and I swear I have something else to talk about. But <laughs> Sam Darnold was the top quarterback prospect mm. from NFL.com in 2018. Here's what <laughs> I wanted to ask you though. So uh, I was looking into this in some of the numbers last night about Kevin O'Connell and okay. what he could do for a quarterback. Okay. Because I think that, Either way, there are improvements to be made on what Mike Zimmer and uh, Kubiak's were doing to now. Mm. So here's my question for you. If all of a sudden Kevin O'Connell called you up tomorrow and said, hey, Searles, I know I'm prepping for the Super Bowl, but real quick, can you be my OC? I, I, I know that this is a surprise and you've never coached before, but if a McCown can do it, then you can. You're in. Tell me what you would do if you were designing your own offense i'm just going to leave that as a broad question for you yeah i mean so the offense that i would install so to, to put it is a kind of a hybrid of what dallas does with a little bit of what tennessee does right i think that there's always a need for a lineup in 21 personnel 22 personnel and have that mentality of running downhill but based off of what the offense have become in the NFL and how throwing the ball is basically a necessity at this point, I really like some of the Dallas schemes of their RPOs and their outside inside zone out of their sub packages. So I'm building a team that relies a lot on 11 personnel. So I need to find me an absolute monster at tight end, right? I, I need Ir Irv is not necessarily my, as Jeremiah Searles OC, my ideal tight end. 
I want a guy that can line up much like Schultz is for for Dallas, right? He can line up in line. He can block. He can be in the wing. He can come back and block. You can send him out on a deep cross or deep post, and he can run by safeties. That's more my ideal tight end. I build a lot out of 11 personnel, and then I also go a lot out of 12 personnel. Those are the two personnel that I'm absolutely living in all day long because 12 personnel puts the most pressure on any defense if you have two really good tight ends based off the fact that you make them run base or do you make them run sub? And then you basically just choose between if that defense runs base, we're throwing the football check to it. Hey, that defense isn't sub. We're checking to run in the football. You make them wrong. And you can do that with the ability of those two tight ends. And then also at the quarterback position, my first question would be, well, who's the quarterback? Is it Kirk cousins? Or are we, are we going in a different direction? Because you can't run Dallas's offense with Kirk cousins. You just can't. That's just not how it's built. I mean, Dallas, Buffalo, Kansas City have the ability to create and escape because if you run a true RPO and it's covered, you need to be able to escape it a little bit and create with your, which is what makes Mahomes and those guys magic because half the time it's just backyard football. And that's just so hard for defenses to cover. And so I'm taking a hybrid of that. But also, I, I still will always, because of the offensive line, we have the mentality of you need a downhill running game. CJ Ham is absolutely on my team. He's on my roster. Having a fullback is important because you can see it. It's a trend going up, in my opinion, of uh, in the NFL of a successful running team. So, you know, it's that combination, kind of that spread pro style that you're starting to see more and more teams go to. Cincinnati runs it a lot. Um, and that would kind of be how I built this offense to be able to throw it to really run it in 11 personnel. But then when you line up in, in 21 or, or 22, you know we're coming right downhill. And then you take the deep play action shots. So those numbers refer to the number of uh, running backs and tight ends. Yes. Just, uh, Personnel you're, grouping. You're First throwing number, out all the football. I'm sorry. Sorry. Football. I got into it. 11 is when you have three wide receivers, one running back, one tight end. And uh, 12 is when you have two tight ends. And uh, 21 would be two running backs or whatever, running back yes. and fullback. Two backs. Just to, just just to clarify backs. that. Two backs. So, you know, one thing that I think that John Filippo struggled with in 2018 was figuring out what the identity was supposed to be. Like he wanted to run 11 personnel, mm -hmm. wanted to throw first and then run second. And I think that we see success in all of these different ways if it's done with a few different elements. I mean, one is usually it does take a good offensive line. I will I will acknowledge this <laughs> after watching Vikings football for the last uh, how many years where there has never been a good offensive line that I've covered. But, um, you know, I think that having extra receivers is something that all of these teams do that Cincinnati looked at their situation. They said, you know, Burrow's about to take that big next step. Let's sign Riley Reef, who got hurt and isn't playing in this game. But let's sign a guy who's a veteran and get us a receiver who could play right away. Penny Sewell might be great like two, three years from now, uh, really, truly great based on his skills, but they kind of needed somebody to step right in. And they said, oh, we, yeah, we have Boyd and Higgins. Not enough. Not enough. And I think that's part of it, too, is if you're switching to using more 11 personnel, which I think they will under Kevin O'Connell, like that is super important to me is to draft another receiver, to sign another receiver that's not D.D. Westbrook or Kendall Wright or something that they kind of you know, melding what you're saying with the, with the personnel. Um, so there's this balance that I think is tough between though, having your, your personality of what you want to be and then like trying to do too much. Um, because I think that what the Vikings became recently was way too much. We know exactly what our personality is run and then boot action. It's like, okay, well, 
the other team knows too. And you started to see on tape, like, oh, these linebackers are running to exactly where your crossers are going is because they've seen that a hundred times. I think that's a really tough balance for an offensive mind. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You, I think the one thing that I would really like to see from them, and I'm taking my OC hat off, put it back on Kevin. I want to see them when they find an identity to stick to it, right? Don't don't waver in how the, well, this week to that week, because I felt like that happened a lot. And maybe not this year, more last year, I think more 2020. I felt like week to week it was more like, what am I watching? Like, is this a downhill running football team? Or are you going to throw it 50 times? Like it just kind of was all over the map where, if you're going to install a new offense, stick with it through the thick and the thin. Stick with it through the the ups and the downs, and you might not have all the pieces to put it out there right away, but if you just continue to work at it, the more the pieces will come. And so I think that if these guys want to install that 11 personnel, I think the emergence of K.J. Osborne last year was huge and maybe them not having to feel like they need to reach for a first-round receiver, right? Like, feel they think they have a guy that maybe that second-round, third-round receiver area where you could grab a guy that's going to develop maybe one year to be great, right? Like, he just needs kind of that one year. I think of a guy like A.J. Brown, right? He came in as a rookie. He was okay, but then he was a freaking monster after that. And so that's where you could look there. But just stay with it. Just stay the course of whatever you're going to be, whatever you punt your DNA in this offense is. Just stay with it, and the pieces build around it over time. It's obviously not going to look polished right away, but you just kind of got to wear it and just go with it, and then eventually it all kind of starts to come together year two, year three, year four. How hard is it as a player, really, to learn a new offensive system? It really all depends on how much of a change it is. Now, the biggest thing for offensive linemen in particular is if you were, I'm not 100% what the Vikings were, if they were word-based or number-based. So what I mean by that is when I was there for uh, protections, it was key right, key left, gone right, gone left, act two, act five, like all our protections were words. Then I get to Buffalo and everything's now numbers, 64, 65, 72, 78. Like, and so that that can be a little bit of time-consuming. As far as the actual schemes, there's not a ton that changes from team to team inside zone is inside zone power is power. Like, yeah, you'll have different motions in different ways that, Hey, we're going to window dress this. We might start in two by two, but we're going to end in three by one. And just, you have to be able to process all that really quickly. But 
you as a professional and especially with some of the guys that are a little bit older on this team and even the guys that are younger, it's the middle of the road guys that it's hard on years three through five, I think. But if you're like a, a year two guy and you really only had one year in the old system, like that's not really ingrained in you yet. This is going to be your true first full offseason. I'm thinking a guy like Darisaw, right? It's his first true offseason to have all of OTAs and all of training camp to get ingrained in it. Versus a guy like Brian O'Neill that was in that system basically his entire time, he kind of has to wipe the system completely clean and not carry anything over, which is really hard to do. And but versus a vet that's been on eight different teams, he's like, oh, just another playbook, like time to learn. So it's not extremely difficult, but it really, I think the defensive side might be a little bit harder because man, they've been four three over cover two for freaking ever, and now that might be completely different. Well, the good thing is they don't have any of the players that were there. (laughs) I mean, they're clearing out the entire defense. And I wanted to get to that because there's a report that the Vikings are most interested in hiring Ed Donatel, who comes from the Vic Fangio uh, shrubbery. Um, So Fangio's defense is just very different from Mike Mm -hmm. Zimmer's. But I do think there's some similar concepts like Fangio wanting to play two deep safeties. Uh, what you see with the Rams when they were with Brandon Staley is they were basically using like one linebacker. A lot of times they were playing a lot of dime, which is sort of the modern way to do this. Even the way the teams are approaching playing against Kansas city is we're going to drop everybody back. We're going to rush three a lot of times, and then we're going to make you play Tom Brady ball where you just dump it underneath. And I think in the second half of that Bengals game, Mahomes got a little antsy, not wanting to necessarily do that. And that cost them. Uh, but I think that modern defenses are really starting to do that where they're taking more linebackers off the field. Um, there's also no such thing as three, four anymore. No. People are saying like, Oh, is, are they switching to three, four? Like, well, I mean, sort of, but it's like, under, it's just right. under. They're, no they're... one has four linebackers also no. <laughs> like no. that does not exist. Yeah. So all explain, of these... explain the Fangio thing. Yeah, so the, the Fangio thing for me, so he runs an under defense, which is different than what Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer runs an over defense. Okay, explain and real, those. Real, real quickly, that's based off how the front is set. So let's say that the tight end is to the right of the offensive side, right? So the strength is to our right. That would mean that the defensive tackle to the right of the center is going to be a three technique, which is an outside shoulder of the guard. And then there's going to be either a six or a nine technique, which is the outside shoulder or head up on the tight end. So then you have a nose to the left, which is right on the center. And then you have a five technique outside the left tackle, right? So it kind of, it's still that four down look under essentially just kind of flips the whole thing. Now the three technique goes weak. So now there'd be a three technique to the left of the center. You'd have the nose to the right of the center, the strength then a five technique. And then the Sam linebacker actually walks up on the ball. This can very, very simply, you just move everyone over a gap and it's three, four. Right, But this is the theme that they go to. It's under because then you still have three linebackers and four D linemen. Now, what they'll do a lot of times is that DN might be a Von Miller or uh, Leonard Floyd that stands up. So it kind of looks like a 3-4 because it's a stand-up linebacker, but it's really just a rush defensive end. And so that's the defense he likes to run. You saw the success he had with it with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. And really, this defense is predicated off your edge rushers, though. I mean, and under defense, you have to have a really, really good nose guard and you have to have two really good edge rushers. And then after that, you kind of build through. But like you said, we have three linebackers that we played a lot. I mean, we may turn to a one linebacker dime 
two linebackers at most type. I mean, I think I counted it when the Rams were playing Reader or whatever's Reed. I think Reed's the linebacker number 51. Played every snap, and I didn't see another linebacker the entire time, the entire rest of the game. Now, that helps when you have an all-world defensive line in front of you. But at the same time, like that is the norm of because of, like I just said, when I was installing my offense, people want to run 11 personnel. And you mismatch when you have two linebackers on running backs going out in routes when you're in 11 personnel with two linebackers. And like you said, if you want to play too deep, sweet, we'll just dink it dunk down to Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Jarek McKinnon or whoever it is that's just going to go run faster than these linebackers because he's a running back. This is actually why I think San Francisco kind of owned Los Angeles until the fourth quarter of that <laughs> game. And really in recent years is because they play with a fullback. They have a tight end who can do all these different things. And yep. that's tough when you don't have linebackers and the Vikings, I don't know what they're going to do with Tyler Conklin. I would guess he leaves in free agency, but if they wanted to still have two good tight ends, I thought that there were some mismatches at times with teams who wanted to play defense this way when they had Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, having a versatility to say, no, we're actually going to go with our big people and you try to stop it with your one linebacker. This worked against the Packers sometimes because they were doing a similar type of thing when Mike Pettin was their defensive coordinator. Um, remember though, the great outside linebackers from three fours back in the day, like Kevin green, Lamar Lathan, those guys were great. Derek Thomas, the all timer. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing with the three fours, it was built to stop the run. Like everyone thinks it's like, well, you only have three down linemen. It's like, yeah, but you have every gap covered. You have five guys on the line of scrimmage. Like the three, four was designed to stop the wishbone and I formation because you're fanning old linemen out. You got no double teams really at all. Like, and so that's why you're starting to see the disappearance of the three, four, because you're seeing the disappearance of, like you said, the fullbacks and the 13 personnel and 22, like that's all kind of becoming more of a, a change up versus when it used to be the norm, which is now you're looking for the edge rushers to be able to pressure the quarterback. And can you get there in half a second instead of one because of the RPO action? And it all relies too on whether you have good corners and safeties. I mean, because you're playing them a lot. You're playing multiples of them. So you you need depth uh, at that position. But also, I mean, when Fangio's defense was incredible with uh, Chicago, I mean, they had a really good secondary. And that's a major part as we talk about rebuilding this team where the Vikings have a huge decision at quarterback. They've got some huge decisions with other veterans, Daniel Hunter, and if they want to do anything with anybody else. Um, this to me says Eric Kendricks absolutely has to be a part of this. Not that I ever thought he was going to be moved anywhere, but absolutely. If he's going to be the one linebacker on the field, then that's the type of guy you want. Um, but aside from that, I mean, if you can't shut anybody down, like there's a reason that, Chicago, or, uh, that Denver was drafting Patrick Sertain, right? With their first pick. If you can't shut people down with Jalen Ramsey, I mean, you're just not going to be as good. And that was the same thing with the Chargers when Brandon Staley went over there. Like they don't have that guy, so they weren't as good as the the Rams were before, even though they do have a good defensive line. Uh, but it's interesting that it'll be a change. I mean, as we're looking for things that will just be different with Kevin O'Connell, it'll be quite the defensive system change from what we've seen um, in years past. So I want to ask you about this big game that is happening, mm. the Super Bowl. But mm -hmm. let me ask you the, the first question before we get into this game. What is your favorite Super Bowl ever? Oh, my favorite Super Bowl ever. That's a tough one. You know, I honestly think it was when Elway won his second one. 
because my dad, I'm from Colorado. Dad was a diehard Broncos fan. And I can remember us being at a Super Bowl party and dad running outside and like this cul-de-sac that we were at, just like screaming at the sky how happy he was. And going to the parade, I got to go to the parade and sit on dad's shoulders and watch Shannon Sharp and John Elway and Ed McCaffrey and these guys hosting the Lombardi. And it's just a vivid memory for me. It's not as much the game. I honestly I think they beat the Falcons or the Rams. I don't know which one it was. Killed but, the Falcons. Know, yeah. Right. And so, like, I don't necessarily remember the actual game, but, like, the memory of that Super Bowl for me was super, super fun. Yeah, I had some uh, some tough breaks early on in childhood. <laughs> um <laughs> But as a kid, I thought that the Bills went to the Super Bowl every year because they did when I was growing up. From age five to nine, they went to every single Super Bowl. And so when they didn't go to one, I think in, what was it, maybe 95, is like, like, come on. But they're like going, right? Like <laughs> I think they lost to the Jaguars in the playoffs. I was like, but, but, but like they're still in it, right? Like they're going. Uh, so there was a little bit of a tough break there. Um, yeah, I think the one that might be my favorite was when the giants beat the Patriots mm. when they were 17 and 0. just because every super bowl, I want that the, the helmet catch. It was, yeah. yes. I want the underdog to win all the time, but at that time I really wanted it to happen because, and this, this is like deep in the woods, but there were several times through the 17 or 16 and 0 season from the Patriots where they probably should have lost but it felt like they got a call. And I know this is more of like your t- teenager type of opinion, but it felt like they got a call or something where the league wanted them to be undefeated. And so here comes the Giants. They're just not a really particularly great team in the regular season. Everyone's talking about how great Brady is and all, you know, he threw what, 50 touchdowns to Randy Moss yep. that year. And so it just was like one of these great, totally unexpected amazing football game with all-time great plays that came down to the very end with an underdog walking off with the Super Bowl victory. I mean, games that are front to back just super tense the whole way through and then end with somebody coming up with a crazy play, I think those are the best ones. I agree. And the problem is usually those are all more conference championship games than the Super Bowl. In my opinion, my dad always says his favorite weekend of football year is championship Sunday. And then the Super Bowl can either be fun or the Super Bore, as he likes to call it. Classic dad, classic dad joke. Um, <laughs> like, and I am actually rather concerned that this one might be a Super Bore. I really am. I, I I hate the bye week. I know we're not doing hate to see it, but I hate the bye week between conference championship and the Super Bowl because that playoff magic and that playoff momentum and that run like you talk about for an underdog kind of gets stifled when all of a sudden it's like, okay, here's 14 days, chill out. Like, I just hate it because you usually see the better teams like they're able to regroup and everything versus this like the Bengals that are just running hot, right? Just red hot, can't miss. And then it's kind of like they give them time to cool down. I just, I I don't like it. Well, but you got to watch the Pro Bowl. I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unwatchable unwatchable dude the only thing that got hit in that pro ball was alvin Kamara hitting someone else oh, oh too wow. soon what? too soon oh <laughs> sorry don't go to dre's you know what i saw someone i saw there's always something on the internet somebody is always saying the stupidest thing ever but like somebody's saying that the nfl should have known if you put these players in vegas that someone was going to get in trouble and it was like as if they can't go to Vegas otherwise. <laughs> yeah, like, if, this is the first time they've all been to Vegas, actually, <laughs> NFL players. 
They've never traveled to anywhere where you could party. Never, they, never they, once ever. They're just like you. They stay in Nebraska with all their kids and dogs <laughs> and they have a quiet life. And just um, never, never go to Vegas. What a, what a take. Uh, mm. So the, the issue, yeah, the issue I have with this one is when you go position by position at quarterback, the Bengals are better. They're not better by seven worlds. They're right. better by a little. And when you go everywhere else, the Rams have the best offensive line. They have the best defensive line, which usually is a huge deal in a single game. They've got the best corner on the field. They have the best two receivers on the field. I mean, Jamar Chase is really good, but Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup, like at very least they're even in weapons. I mean, the Bengals have a better running back. Does that do something for you? I mean, it's just, I feel like it's so much stronger roster wise for the Rams and probably coaching wise with McVay going into his second one, not his first time there that I just have a tough time seeing the Bengals winning. I kind of, I mean, I hope it's one of those tight games and it'd be really cool if the Bengals won with Joe Burrow. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to see with this matchup. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, I think that, the first of all, I mean, the Joe Burrow magic has been really, really magical, but he's really he's one hit away from that team having no shot. And as much as he's gotten beat up, I mean, sacked nine times against the Titans, and then he was sacked what, another four times against the Chiefs or something like that. And you look at those D lines and you're like, yeah, those are pretty good D lines, but they kind of both don't even come close to what the Rams have at defensive line when you go across the board. And you know, Riley Reef getting hurt was a big deal. You know, he was actually playing pretty well for them. And they bring in, I think, Price is who's over there at right tackle for them now, who's average. He's, he's a decent player. But, you know, the thing that I've noticed is a lot of these blitzes isn't necessarily, not, excuse me, a lot of these sacks aren't necessarily guys just getting beat up one-on-ones, but they're kind of schematic sacks. You know, guys are gaming them up. Guys are blitzing and in, in where the holes are. And Joe Burrow, as great as he is, he's still a young quarterback. And I can really see the Rams dialing up some some really difficult pressures some exotic looks some things that confuse this offensive line confuse burrow maybe try and make him think a little more about the blitz pickup and the route concepts and i think that's going to be the main storyline in this game is how do they get to burrow because they just rush for yeah aaron donald's going to win his fair share you're going to see leonard floyd win a fair share like you're going to see it but i really think the difference will be when they come after him and get home Right. And there's only like so much of that you can take. I mean, against Tennessee, they get sacked nine times. They didn't score a whole lot in that game. Mm -mm. And Tennessee just played worse. And Ryan Tannehill threw a couple interceptions. And there's been kind of what did uh, Mike Zimmer say once about Case Keenum? A horseshoe around his neck sounded like he wanted to say a horseshoe somewhere else. <laughs> uh, but that's kind of been Joe Burrow. And that's not to say that he's lucky or that he's not amazing, or you wouldn't take him as one of the five first draft picks of, and if, if someone said you can have any player in the league, but things have gone his way. I mean, people have tweeted out a couple of interceptions that got dropped one in the Kansas city game. And sometimes when there's the Cinderella team, there's also like, well, that, that eventually wears out. I totally agree with you with the week before, by the way, there was, I think there was a year back in the day in the nineties where they didn't do this, where they didn't have the two weeks and it's just, it's just marvelous. Yeah. Uh, but then here's the thing. Once it's over, you'll be like, where's my football. So, <laughs> right. But you're delaying the inevitable. I, I just, again, it's just about momentum. Playoffs is so much about momentum and it feels like this just kind of kills everything. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. So do you have a love to see it? Hate to see it. Yeah. My, uh, my love to see it is bye-bye Tom Brady. 
I love you, Tommy boy. You've been fun to watch my entire life, but I am so excited about this young quarterback group that's in the AFC right now, specifically, that I do think it's a little bit time of the the passing of the torch um, in that guard of the greatest of all time kind of riding out. And I know it wasn't off into the sunset, but what a hell of a run for his couple of years in Tampa. Um, so that's kind of my my love to see is him finally actually moving on. Him getting to announce it himself, first of all, because that was just ridiculous. But uh, that's definitely that's my love to see it. Yeah, that was an awkward situation because Very. it was reported correctly and everyone was like, oh, he's retiring. And then he's like, no way. Uh, my social media team is not figuring out how we're going to announce this yet. Uh, so that was that was very uncomfortable. That's an That's an interesting one. I mean, I, I've, I agree with you with Brady that it's like not only him, but Rogers Roethlisberger, like it is just the dawning of a new era. And think yep. about like how much of our lives have just been spent with these same quarterbacks dominating the league. And now like uh, uh, Dak Prescott, I guess in the NFC. I mean, the AFC has some amazing ones. Uh, I would, I I would say that um, love to see it is the, uh, the vibe around what's going to happen here in the next few weeks for the Vikings. Like love to see, all of us like learning together what this new group is going to be. Um, I, I have joked around about the hairline thing and people yelling at each other online about Kirk cousins. But I just think when you're hiring a new defensive coordinator with a new system, you're bringing in a new offensive mind. He's going to hire an offensive coordinator. You have a roster to rebuild on defense. You have a quarterback decision to be made. Like last year, we were talking about them signing a nose tackle, which look much respect to nose tackles, but it's like, are, who are they? Are they going to get Carl Lawson? Like the, in comparison, it's just so much more interesting to discuss. Yeah. And I think that that's what we talked about, right? You, sometimes you just need to inject of energy into the entire state, into the entire organization. And with not Harbaugh, sadly, but Kevin coming in, I think that's going to be a really exciting time up in Minnesota. I'm really pumped to follow it as well. What's your uh, hate to see it? Do you have a hate to see it? My hate to see it just has to be again. I'm gonna go back to it. The freaking Pro Bowl, man. Like, what? What is the point? Why? Just have the skill challenge. Throw some flags on these dudes. Have fat man flag football. I don't care. Anything would be better than that atrocity that you trotted out there on the field the other day. I just, it was, it was so bad. It was so bad. Um, my hate to see it is that the USFL is launching again, and I just can't see it working. Um, Hey, maybe you'll get some players there, but I, I, what I would love to see is football create sort of this WWE type of now follow me here type of weekly storyline battle of two teams that go to different places and play and become like an event kind of thing, as opposed to, we're going to create a league with a bunch of stadiums with players we can't afford. And then we're going to fold within six months. Now the XFL, I thought had some better ideas, but it was the same deal. Like if you play every week at whatever stadium, people are not showing up for like eight games of, of USFL football. If you had, how about this? If you had Cam Newton and Ben Roethlisberger start two teams and they traveled around and played in a football stadium every week, and then they documented it with like an HBO style documentary. 
I think that'd be amazing. There'd be so many great stories to tell. People would be like, oh, you know, Team Roethlisberger and Cam are coming. Like the big three has done this with basketball and they've had success with it. I, I, there's there's other ideas that I think need to be worked on. And I kind of hate to see football leagues continuing to launch and then fail, even though I will absolutely follow them. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks with league. The problem is, and I tell this to people all the time, like you watch college football for the passion and the energy per the team, right? You watch the NFL for the freak shows. Right. Like, yeah, you have a lot of people that are excited about um, what's happening, but you like you want to see the Odell Beckham catches. You want to see those things. So the in between those were like no freaks because they're in the NFL and not a lot of passion energy because they don't really care. You can't try and copy the NFL, which is why the XFL is great. They put their own twist on things. Right. I mean, I think that if you want to be a successful intermediate league you cannot try and just blueprint the nfl and repeat you got to have your own twist to it you got to have your own fun like you said make it fun and engaging for the fans and people will come but that, the, US, yeah. the usfl is not the blueprint i've seen for them i agree with you. it's gonna be really hard to keep it going it's like playing madden with every player rated 50 right like that's right. just the, you're not gonna really get ahead and most of the games are like that where they're just like 14 to 12 in these leagues. And there's just not enough excitement. But what the XFL did that was awesome is they implemented a new kickoff. So they sort of broke football a little where they implemented new ideas and they took you behind the scenes and they created new ideas to look at uh, refereeing where they would show you the referee going through the replay and what they were seeing and what they were saying to each other. Like that was worth watching just to see them kind of mess with football and see what it might look like. But you know, aside from that, it's just hard to get the talent level that makes people want to come in the door. Um, it's like watching uh, much respect to D3 basketball. My wife is a D3 basketball player. But if you watch D3 basketball, the center is 6'3", <laughs> and the point guard is 5'10", and you're like, well, you know, this is basketball. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing that was great is the the XFL was the players being mic'd up, just dropping oh, F-bombs yes. on live TV. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like right. they couldn't hit the bleep button fast enough. It was for, like, and you tuned in almost just to see that, right? Like, what'd you expect? You, you threw mics on these dudes and they just scored to like, yeah, yeah. Like, it, just, like, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, COVID kind of killed it. But uh, Jeremiah, great stuff. The next time we talk, Will be the like sort of last time, but you'll you'll drop in from time to time in the offseason. But we will have a Super Bowl to break down and maybe depending on our timing, a Kevin O'Connell press conference to talk. Let's about. go. Not a mock press conference for a coach who's not real here. press conference. Yeah, about that. All right. <laughs> Thanks for your time as always, Jeremy. Later.